one of my favorite stories about lay people and the work of the Lord comes from John Piper's book, Brothers, We Are Not Professionals. He wrote that to pastors as a reminder of what our work should be about. In that book, there is a chapter titled, Bitzer Was a Banker. This guy named Bitzer, last name, he was a part of the church and just a regular guy and was a banker. <laughs> that was his job. But Bitzer decided, not a, he's not an elder, not a just a regular old servant in the body of Christ. He decided he wanted to get more out of God's word and so he decided to do that. He needed to learn the he needed to learn the grammar from the original languages in the New Testament, so he, he decided to learn Greek. He didn't go to a seminary, just started to use as many resources as he could around him to learn Greek. He's going to learn biblical Greek, Koine Greek. And bit by bit he did, and he struggled, and he struggled, and he struggled until he got to a point where he could understand it. Tremendous student of the word. He's able to study the grammar of the New Testament in a deeper way. You say, why did he do that? You say, was he intending to become a pastor? No. An elder? No. Maybe a missionary? No. A banker. That's all he wanted to be. But if he wanted to have ministry... It extended out from that. He was convinced that to know God and to know Him in His Word, he didn't have to be one that, you know, relegated everything to everyone else. He could he could actually study, he could actually learn, he could he could go further. He just wanted to know God's word more. He wanted to know God more. See. I love that story. Because it really underscores the approach with where we're at in 1 Corinthians 16. And that is just what is implied there. So if you turn there, please, to 1 Corinthians chapter 16. And we're going to give our attention to verses 5 through 12. Now Paul's thought for this section really began... In verse 58 of chapter 15, so take a, let's a backward glance there at chapter 15. He said, therefore, my beloved brethren, verse 58, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not empty in the Lord. Knowing that when you do this kind of work, it's not, the end result is not going to be emptiness. Some version says it's not a, you know, vain. And by that, that means you just did it for you. It's not going to be empty. It'll have its fruit. It'll have its produce. And the people around you that are close to you in the sphere of ministry that you're working in, listen, until our resurrection comes, what should we do? We abound 
in the work of the Lord. That's what it says in 1 Corinthians 15. And that's what we've been learning in chapter 16, right? Remember 2 Timothy 2.15, as a workman who does not need to be ashamed. In other words, we would not be ashamed of our work. What work? Well, the work of the kingdom. You say, but I work at uh, a grocery store, or I, I work at the mines, or I work in construction, or I work, you know, wherever it is you work for the city or whatever. No, no, no. When you become a believer, you traded jobs. Did you know that? You traded jobs. You used to be that worker. Oh, yeah, that's, that's what the city pays you and or whatever, whatever it is your work is. But your real work now is kingdom work. That's the real work. You're a kingdom worker. And you're to be a workman who does not need to be ashamed. That is the Christian life. We, beloved, have work to do. There is particular work that we have to do. Luke 17.10, So you too, when you do all the things which are commanded you, all the work which you're commanded to do, that you're given, say this, Jesus said, We are unworthy slaves. We have done only that which we ought to have done. Just doing the work that we should do. Right? Why? Because you're earning heaven? No. Because we have heaven. And we rejoice. And because we love Christ. And it says that it's, First Peter, inexpressible joy to live this way. We do this. That's why we work. God gives us work to do. We abound in doing it, see. Mark 13.32, but of that day or hour, no one knows. Talking about the return of Jesus. Watch this. Verse 33, take heed, keep on the alert, because you don't know when he is coming back. How should I keep on the alert while Jesus tarries, while he waits, while we wait for him to come back? Verse 34, like a man away on a journey who, upon leaving his house and putting his slaves in charge, Assigning to each one his task, also commanded the doorkeeper to stay on the alert. So verse 35, stay on the alert because you don't know when the master of the house is coming back, right? Verse 36, in case he should come suddenly and find you asleep. Now put these thoughts together. What's the picture? Jesus is the man on the journey, right? He's gone. He left. Physically, not spiritually, physically. He left. He is the master away from the house. The church is the house. He has put his slaves in charge. Who's that? Us believers, Christians. Verse 34 says, assigning to each one his task. What's your task? We all have ministry. We all have things to do. We all have tasks. And sovereignly, he has given each one of us a task. And so the question is, have you fulfilled it? Are you in the process of fulfilling that task? It's why Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 4, fulfill your ministry. Emphasis on your God has given you particular ministry to do, fulfill it. 
How long should I do it? Well, until you retire and you can move to Tahiti, right? No, I mean, you just, you keep doing it until the, the lights go out, okay? And you just do it. There is work, by, by the, there, what Jesus is saying there in Mark 13, 34, there is work designed especially for you. It's got your name all over it. Sometimes you have to help people. Like, I'll never forget this one guy. He so badly wanted to sing in a group. Wanted to be part of the worship team. And, and I always, whenever we had him on the deal there, it just, we had notes. He, he invented notes. I am, I'm sure he did. And I just, young man is such a sweetheart. I, I loved him so much. And I took him aside and I said, here, I'm going to play a few notes on the piano here for you. And, and I just tried with all my might to get this guy to sing what he needed to do. And he just couldn't do it. Just couldn't do it. And I said, brother, I want to introduce you to your new calling. Okay? We're going to find out what it is, but it's not this. Right? <laughs> work designed especially for you. How are we to do our work? We're to do our work like a person who doesn't even have the luxury of sleeping. Do you notice that? He said, be on the alert. Be on the alert. He could come at any time. The work of the Lord. The work of the Lord. Boy, I tell you what, if we're honest, we are so attached to our sleep. We are to do our work like a person who cannot even go to sleep. I mean, he's coming back. So do God's work. So just do it. He said, man, I I am sure tired. Well, it could be that you're doing it right. He's coming back, so do God's work. Chapter 15 says you're going to be glorified someday. First Corinthians 15. This is going to be a resurrection of your body. So until then, what do you do? Work. Mark 13 says Jesus is coming back. Until then, do your task. He left us here to do our individual task. Revelation 22.12 Behold, I am coming quickly and my reward is with me to render to every man according to what he has done. According to his work. You were given work. He's going to give you according to how you handled that, right? Remember Matthew 25, he will say, well done, and good, my good and faithful what? Servant. Faithful servant. Now what's, what's he judging that based on? Faithfulness to our task, right? Faithfulness to our task. Now some of you heard last week's message and thought this. Wait, isn't this a message about doing work in the church, about ministry? I'm no pastor. I'm no elder. I spend my time doing work in the marketplace or, you know, in the school or in the field or in the factory out there. I mean, what does a text like this have to do with me? I mean, talking about God's work. What does that have to do with me? I'm not that guy. In other words, who does the work? 
Well, I'm very glad you asked that question. So turn for a moment to Ephesians 4. Just real quick. Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4, I don't even know what that is. Go eat popcorn. See, what do you mean? Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. There you help you out with some order in, the, in your Bible, right? I'd like to do that. I'm a mnemonic device kind of guy. I do that. Whatever helps me remember. It's after 1 Corinthians, I'll tell you that. All right. Ephesians 4, verse 11. God gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers. That last group, has, you know, pastors, teachers, the elders, okay? The shepherds of the church, both paid and lay, okay? And so these people are given as gifts to the church. God is making sure the church gets work done. Okay, well, how's it going to get done? I like this. So far, I'm good with it. You get a good pastor, you tell them, get to work. And we'll see you on Sunday, right? I mean, that's how the deal works, right? Look at verse 12. He gave those kinds of people to the church for the equipping of the saints. That is, to prepare the saints. That word there means to mend nets. To mend nets. To fix broken bones. Um, to put things together. That's literally what the word means. And so you equip, you prepare, you get the saints all put together. Okay? All put like a, like a net that's got, it's tattered and kind of ripped. And some, you know, some, we've got little pieces over here, a little piece over there. Whoop, we're sewing it all. That's, you realize that Sunday morning is just a process of sewing you all back built together. That's what this is. And it says to prepare the saints, to get them ready. Oh boy, ready for what? What are we going to do? This is exciting. Verse 12. For the work of service. Who does the work? Well, the saints do. It says to the building up, the the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. Who does the work? Pastor, teachers, get all the saints ready to do the work. You say, but I have a career. I have a job. So how can I do the work of service in the church? Well, the Puritans called it a calling. Your job was actually your calling by the Lord. For some people, it's to be, you know, paid by the church here. And for others, it's out there. You're getting paid by some other dealio out there. And they're giving you money to do a job out there. But your real calling is from the Lord. You say, I always wondered why I was such a good welder. Now I know. I'm the Lord's welder, right? So I'm, I'm a... I just wonder why, you know, man, I feel like I'm good with numbers and that's why I'm over here as this, you know, doing this accounting deal over there. You're the Lord's accountant, see? And maybe you didn't realize that. And that job includes both evangelism and edification. You let the Lord use you as an instrument of the gospel there. And you let the Lord use you to encourage other believers there. Or like Matthew 5 puts it, you just have simple, do it this way. You're just salt and light. You understand salt and light, right? Light, the idea of light is to expose. Salt is to preserve. Light, it's the things that you show clearly that connect to the gospel. 
in the message that you share from your lips, salt is the life you live at before them. And they have no idea that when you're living it out before them, they swear less, they get angry less, they tell less dirty jokes when you're around. It's because you're salt. That's a good thing. You're not saving them. Only the Lord can save them. But you're helping them know that they need saving, right? Because there's that contrast between what they're doing and the life you're living. And so salt is your godly example. Light is your gospel exhortation. Don't forget Acts 18. Paul was a tent maker at Corinth. Listen, he didn't make a dime off of that church there at Corinth. So when he is talking about doing God's work, he speaks as a man who has a full-time job as a tent maker. Okay? You understand that? And what's our approach to work? Like Paul, 2 Timothy 4, I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. I've done the work the Lord gave me to do, he told Timothy. You know what he was saying? I'm ready to die. I'm ready to die. Go be with the Lord. Why? Because he gave me work? I did it. Boy, wouldn't that be great to be able to say that? How how about the Lord Jesus in John 17? I have glorified you on the earth, having accomplished the work which you have given me to do. Jesus did his task. That's why he could say on the cross, it is what? Finished. I did it. You know, translation? Done. That's what also could have been put up there on the cross. Done. It's done. All done. All right, now back to 1 Corinthians 16. Paul's talking about the task, what it takes to be a finisher with the work the Lord has given you. We are to finish strong, right? We all share in this work, but we all have an individual task, see so we need to know what ours is, right? I mean, so verse 10, when Timothy comes, take care of him for, look at it. He is doing the Lord's work as also I am. He is doing God's work, so am I. In other words, not only does he do the same work as I, he does it in the same way. And you remember, Paul already said that in chapter 4, verse 17. And he will remind you of all my ways as in every church. So what does it look like then when a believer does God's work? Seven characteristics, really seven principles that describe one who does God's work God's way. First, he has a forward look, verse 5. What's that mean? He's a planner. He's a, he's a visionary. He thinks about the needs that you have or that are there, that are yet to come. He thinks about needs that haven't even happened yet, but he knows are going to happen. He has an ability and a way to look down the road and do the math. One plus one, right? I can see that's going to be two, and two is going to come right over there. See, And so we need to be planning in that direction. 
He thinks about the needs that have yet to come. Now, what does that look like with you? Paul had a plan, and his plan was to go to Macedonia first, and then Corinth. And 2 Corinthians 1 tells us that at first it was different. At first it was going to be Corinth, then Macedonia, then back to Corinth, and then it got changed. But I think the first thing that that tells us, though, is that Paul was not afraid to plan, to make those plans. He had good reasons. And by the way, they struggle with Paul changing his plan. He had good reasons. And we'll get to that a little bit here in a moment. But to do God's work, you have to look at things with future in mind. We're all built differently. Some of us are so easy to be in the present, but it's hard for us to look at that future. And some of us are always dreamers and and our feet don't really touch the ground so well. And so we need a little bit of both, don't we? But in this particular point, we have to be willing to think beyond and outside the box and the dream and have visions about things that are important. Okay? Be willing to go there. Be willing to have that conversation. You know, I've shared this with you already. If someone were to come to me and say, hey, so... uh, You've talked a little bit about there, maybe us having another pastor here. I mean, are we, are we going to have another pastor? You know what I would say to you? Yes. Okay, well, when's that happening? I don't know. But we will. It's going to be down the road. That's what I'm planning on until the Lord says no. Okay? Things get... Bigger, we need to get ourselves smaller, right? (laughs) Find ways to get smaller. And that's the idea. And so we plan. We look at things that are important, things related to getting the gospel out and growing in the word and serving others and being salt in our sphere. And so that takes a forward look. Looking out, having a forward look. But you have to temper that with the second thing, and that is a flexible hand, verses 6 and 7. Why? Because you have to be ready for God's plan. He might change your plan. You always have people, uh, we're all built differently, and in your family, I'm sure you can tell that. You've got that kid that just is always, they love plans, plans all together, right? Well, the hardest thing for us to do as a family one year for Christmas, surprise our kids, hey, we're going to go to Disneyland. We didn't tell them that. And we thought, hey, you know, it would be a really great idea. Let's plan to go to Disneyland, and we won't tell them until the night before. And then we'll all get in the car, and we'll go, and it'll be awesome. They'll love it. They'll think it's fun. Except for our planner child. See, that was a problem with him. He was by this time working. And immediately as we were sharing the idea with everybody, his face went white. Uh, I got to work. Oh, we took care of that for you. And he just couldn't believe, I think, that we really did take care of that for him until we were halfway to L.A. or something. I don't know. He's a planner. That's okay. That's a, there's a good side to that. But open hand, flexible hand. God might want you to go to Disneyland. No, I don't know. (laughs) And I hear the amens out there, right? Okay, let's pray. Um, 
Listen, he might change your plan. You have the one plan, but he, he's got a different plan. Notice how Paul did the Lord's work. Verse 6, perhaps I will stay with you, spend the winter, but then verse 7, if the Lord permits. I love that. He wasn't fighting for his own plan. I know this is the Lord's plan. Everybody get out of the way. You know? Notice how Paul did the Lord's work. Verse 6 and 7. If the Lord wills. James 4. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and also do this or that. Making a plan is good, but you have to do it with a flexible hand that says, if God wills it. Right? Third characteristic of one who does God's work, God's way, you have a far-reaching commitment. A far-reaching commitment. And this is the idea, verse 7, of just thoroughness in the in the ministry, in your work. He says, I don't wish to see you now in passing. I want to remain with you for some time. In other words, what's going to guide how things work out and how I work is the fact that I don't just want to have a shallow relationship with you. I'm not into superficiality, he says. Not in the shallow relationships. He was complete in his work. Colossians 1, 28-29. We looked at that already. Philippians 1, 6. God completing in you. Ephesians 4, 13. The kind of maturity that was that looks like Christ. And that means, and he says, talks about a mature man, the fullness. Paul had a finishing mentality. We have to have a finishing mentality to do God's work. Flexible, but finishing. And here is Paul. And you know, it's good that he had that kind of mentality because this church had a lot of problems. Here here is Paul addressing them in this letter and he's saying, I'd like to spend more time with you. I mean, think about that. This church had so many flesh problems. I mean, so many in every conceivable direction. And what I want you to see is their problems didn't drive Paul away. He says, I'd like to spend more time with you. Huh. Isn't that convicting? Boy, we get around people and they've got problems. You think, oh man, I've got to find a way to get away from this guy. You know, this is, he's, a, he's one of those problem people. Unlike me, you know. Um, listen, I mean, their problems didn't make Paul want to walk on the other side of the road. That is doing God's work God's way. Fourth characteristic of a believer doing God's work God's way, he has a fixed presence to the present. In other words, he's committed to the now. Okay, now we're tempering it. He's, you might be the, oh, you're, that person's always a dreamer and everything. Well, that's because that's the person that's always in the now. But there's a, there's a place for that too. Look at verses 8 and 9. But I will remain in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a wide door for effective service is open to me. You can't just be a planner. You can't just be you know, vision and looking out. He's also a doer. I mean, he doesn't lose sight of the present need too. And now this is a person who understands the value of faithfulness. Faithful to, you know, the work that God has given you. Well done, 
good and faithful servant, faithful in the now. And we showed you last time that Paul always had plans. He said, I'm going to Spain with the gospel. He said that. Romans 15. That's my plan. I'm coming to you, church, at Corinth. But he, but he also was in Ephesus at this time. And he says, well, I can't keep the original plan. Why? Because there's an open door of ministry, and I have to stay for that. Huh. He says, God's opened a door, and until he shuts it, I'm staying here. What's that mean? It means that Paul was committed to the present open door. Mark that. He was committed to the present open door. Way back many years ago, when Faith Bible Church got started, I uh, remember talking to the group that was starting Faith Bible Church. I said, my wife and I said, well, we can commit to a year of being here. And we will help you find the pastor that's going to come here. And uh, I just didn't see myself as a maverick guy. Not not really that guy that's kind of, you know, all right, I'm just going to do this. And you know, the whole kit and caboodle and, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll cut ground and we'll do, we'll do this. And as we began to go and move in deeper and deeper and deeper into ministry, it just became so painfully clear and especially... I say painfully because I'm, I'm the one that just doesn't see things so easily, you know. It takes a little bit of thick-headedness to get through, you know, my vision of things. But I had a good dear friend of mine who said to me, Mike, are there sheep feeding on God's Word? Yes. Are you being faithful to feed God's Word? Yes. So they want to eat, right. And you're feeding them, right. What's the problem? So there's no problem. We'll stay there. How long? Till they stop eating. Okay, amen. That's how I always looked at it. Are, are, are the sheep eating food? Yep, then keep eating and keep feeding. And really, it kind of comes from this mentality that you see, you know, just trying to learn what Paul learned. He was committed to the present open door, he wasn't a user. He wasn't looking around to see, huh, well, what, what better opportunity might come around? That's not Paul. Maybe there's something better around the corner. There could be. My fear is that so many in the Lord's church handle ministry that way. Well, I'll do this for right now, but if something better comes up, oh, that's how you define faithfulness, huh? Paul did not look at it that way. He understood that is not the Lord's way. He had a fixed presence to the present. Now, what does that mean? What does he mean by open door? Well, let's let Scripture speak. Acts, write this, a few of these down here so you can look them up on your own. But Acts 14.27, Paul and Barnabas gathered the church together, <coughs> gave them a report how God had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. Open a door of faith. God took that gospel that was already shared, and he opened the hearts of those people to receive it 
by faith, it says here. God had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. You say, whose faith is it? Well, you might say it's yours, but what does it say here? God opened the door for you to get it. Okay? You can't even claim your own faith. Paul said, we saw that and we were faithful to it. And we just started making disciples and strengthening them and encouraged them to remain in the faith. Second Corinthians 2.12, same thing. I came to Troas for the gospel of Christ. And when a door was opened for me in the Lord, see, that he was always looking for those open doors. Always. For the gospel. To share the gospel. Same thing in Colossians 4.3. Pray that God will open to us a door for the word so that I make it clear. And I tell you, beloved, it's not a door that's missing when it comes to the Lord's work. Our problem is not, oh, if there only was a door. Huh. It's a, it, what's missing oftentimes is a willingness to go through that open door. See? That's what's oftentimes missing. Paul was always looking. He was in the present too. And so many of us are looking for doors the Lord hasn't opened. Listen, wait and be faithful to the door that the Lord has opened to you, right? It's just like what Luke 16 said, says, faithful and little, faithful and much. You say, what does that mean, principle-wise? In other words, you prove yourself to be faithful in the open door the Lord has given you, and then maybe he'll open another one for a different kind of work or a different kind of ministry. See? That's how it works. It's always that way. By the way, you can even apply that same view if you're single and you're like, oh man, who's, where's, the, where's the wife? Where's the husband? They've got to be somewhere, around the corner, somewhere. First Corinthians 7, Paul says, be content. Be faithful to where you're at, to the work that he's given you. And when he opens the door, walk through it. And they'll be, they'll be faithful to that, right? That tells me that I'm going to have to have, by the way, the, that flexible hand. And I'm going to have to learn to be selfless about it. Go through doors God has opened, okay? <laughs> now, what is this effective door in Ephesus for Paul? Well, if you want to turn to Acts 19, you can see it for yourself. But I'm going to give you the, the shorter version of this, okay? Now, there could be a number of things. I mean, Paul goes there. The first thing that he meets up with are some disciples of John the Baptist. We could call these Old Testament saints, okay? They'd never heard about the Holy Spirit. And so these are Jews who believed God, who were baptized by John, but must have left and were living in Ephesus. And by the way, we learned that there's a bunch of Jews and a bunch of Greeks there in Ephesus. When Paul preached the gospel to them, they believed it. And then Paul goes into the synagogue and a bunch of Jews believe the gospel there. And persecution comes and they leave the synagogue and they go to this school of, called the school of Tyrannus. Some school building, some place. And he begins to teach and people come to Christ and he's just being faithful. Two years 
he stays there teaching the saints and exhorting the aints. Now in all of that, what we see is the Lord saving a tremendous amount of people, both Jews and Gentiles. And then a bunch of people who were seeing miracles. Remember this from Paul's hand? They see these miracles and so many of them believed and they confessed their pagan practices and some who practiced magic burned their pagan books with spells. And it says in verse 20, so the word of the Lord was growing mightily and prevailing. There's the door. See it? Paul does. The word of the Lord is prevailing and it's mighty. I've got to stay here. This is incredible. I, I need to be helping this out. Watch how things go. Verse 21. Now after these things were finished, Paul purposed in the spirit to go to Jerusalem after he had passed through Macedonia, Thessalonica and Philippi, and Achaia. That's where Corinth is. Saying this. After I have been there, I must also see Rome. I love it. He's planning. And by the way, he did get to Rome. He just got there in chains. He didn't know that that was going to be the vehicle, right? He went in a ship as incarcerated. I mean, this guy was always making plans, never lost sight on needs that were out there. And notice, too, he did that in the spirit. And that means he wasn't a selfish this, he wasn't a selfish guy with a selfish plan, not a, not a fleshly idea. His, his motives were pure. He was filled with the Spirit, see? And here's where we intersect with this letter to the Corinthians. Look at verse 22. Acts 19.22. And having sent into Macedonia two of those who ministered to him, Timothy and Erastus, he himself stayed in Asia for a while. Why? Because... The Lord had opened a wide door of effective service for him. See? And so he sends Timothy and Erastus to the church at Corinth, and he and, and those that church eventually to the church at Corinth, that, that church knows that because Timothy and Erastus came, that, that Paul really is going to come, see? And so that by Timothy and Erastus going there, that's like hope to them. Oh, hey, he really is going to... He's not just... You remember Second Corinthians 1, they, 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 uh, they accused him of being a yes and no man. By sending Timothy and Erastus, they understand, no, he means what he says. There's something else that's here too. It's interesting to me that back in Acts, 9, Acts 16, Paul wanted to go to Asia, but remember the Holy Spirit said no? Guess where Ephesus is? Asia Minor. He did go to Asia, just not on his time. See? And so the Lord did get Paul there, just not on his timing. And by the way, Acts 18 tells us that Apollos first went there. Why is that important? Well, that tells us that the Lord's plan then was to get Apollos there first, do some work there, maybe fallow that ground up, till it up, so then Paul could come around and sow some serious seed in there, and the Lord could water it and grow it up. Right? You just never know. Just be faithful. 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 
faithful. You know, I mean, the door the door wasn't open, but maybe the the Lord was waiting, obviously, at, at, for Paulos to be where he needed to be, and that was the key to opening the door up for Paul. So that he could get there and see the Lord save many people there. What's the lesson? Don't ignore the door the Lord has opened for you. Don't ignore it. And if you want another picture of that, just read Acts 11 and 13 with Paul and Barnabas at Antioch and then going out. And by the way, you never get the sense that they were not content. You never get the sense that Paul and Barnabas were saying, listen, we think we're done here. Can we do something else? I mean, we're, our gifts are being wasted here. We need to go somewhere else where we can really get it done. You never got that sense. The sense you got from them is, oh, okay. Holy Spirit saying go over there. Sweet. Let's go. And he did it through those men, those pastors, those elders there. And until then, they were just content to teach the word and strengthen the disciples there at that church. In other words, they didn't go out because they were not content or unsatisfied with where they were at. They waited for the right time. For the door to effective service to be opened by the Lord. But it doesn't always look like it's an open door, right? And that leads to the next characteristic of one who does God's work, God's way. Fifth, a fearless will. The person who does God's work, God's way has a fearless will. And it will take this. Look at the end of verse 9. And there are many adversaries. Now that's part of the reason. Listen to this. This is so amazing. That is part of the reason why Paul says that he is staying a little longer. Because there are many adversaries. Now, some of us say, wait, I don't understand. I mean, isn't that the sign that go, right? I mean, oh, uh, the, the kitchen is getting hot. I'm getting out of this, right? I mean, when you start piling up enemies, it, you know, then you start making uh, reservations for out of town, right? Paul says, no, that's, that's the time to stay. That's just a, such an amazing attitude by... Paul, I mean, it's an amazing part of how Paul saw God's work. and He always accepted opposition as a challenge. You see that? I love this kind of mentality. I can't leave. There are too many enemies against the church. Can't leave them alone. Not going to leave them alone. I'm going to help them. You go back to Acts 19 and you have all sorts of people coming to faith in Christ and there's an open door and God saves them by the gospel proclaimed by Paul and others with them. And you remember those people who were idol worshipers and, and the pagans who repented and burned their magic books? And you know, we find out we, in Ephesus is the home for Artemis. Great as Artemis, they began to chant later on. Artemis is the goddess... That false god that everyone worshipped there. And they had this ginormous statue that when you came in, you saw this. And it was it had plated with uh, 
Like old gold, uh, sort of the reflector deal, so that when the sun hit it, it would reflect, and it looked like a brilliant glow of light as your as your ship was coming into Ephesus. And so this, it was common to talk about the glory of Artemis. And you had all these idols then that were made for her and great business and economy from this. But now people were getting rid of their idols. See? Because they were coming, because there was only one king now to worship. And his name isn't Artemis. There's only one Lord of Lords and King of Kings. And there at Ephesus, the believers were saying, we worship him, him alone. And so the Ephesians were saying, whoa, this is bad business. We're going to lose money. So, so we saw all these idols and now we can't sell them. And so the people gathered into a crowd and they started a riot. And there was all this shouting and anger and confusion. And the church feared Paul's life was in danger. What's Paul think? I got to stay longer. I got to stay longer. Look at all this. This is crazy chaos. I got to, they need the gospel. They need the word of God. I can't help but love that attitude. You want to know Paul's attitude in it all? Listen to this. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8. I'll just read it. For we do not want you to be unaware, brethren, of our affliction which came to us in Asia. That we were burdened excessively beyond our strength, so that we despair even of life. Indeed, we have the sentence of death within ourselves so that we would not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. You know what he's saying? We're we're here to the death. We're not going anywhere. But you know what? We trust that the Lord, if, if it does come to death, he'll just raise us back up until his work is done through us here. See? Have you ever thought of ministry that way? See, if I commit to this like you're talking about, I'll die. The Lord can raise you up. He might. Verse 10, who delivered us from so great a peril of death and will deliver us. He on whom we have set our hope and he will yet deliver us. You also joining and helping us through your prayers so that thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf for the favor bestowed on us through the prayers of of many. Beloved, if we're going to do God's work, God's way, we're going to have to embrace challenges that come our way. Those aren't ways for you necessarily to have a detour. They might just be ways for you to understand that, okay, you know what? I live in this place. I live in this ministry. I live in this sphere. Clearly, uh, the Lord does not want me to evacuate. He wants me to know that he can protect me in the hurricane. Number six, a fellow team player attitude. You're going to have to have a fellow team player attitude. Now, as I mentioned, not being a maverick myself, Paul himself was no maverick. I mean, he leaned on people. He involved people. 
He connected himself to them in dependency, even if he might have felt that he could do it better. Look at verse, verses 10 through 11. Now, if Timothy comes, see that he is with you without cause to be afraid. For he is doing the Lord's work as I also am. Let no one therefore despise him, but send him on his way in peace so that he may come to me. For I expect him with the brethren. Now, some people look at that and they say, oh, Timothy, he is such a fearful guy, you know, shy and fearful and everything. I don't think that's Paul's point. He's not saying, hey, show some compassion on Timothy. You know, he's not the easiest guy because he's always scared. He's not saying that. What he's saying is, the Lord has given him a pretty significant work to do and it's hard Don't make it harder by being fleshly. See? Don't make it harder on the guy. Listen, it's always that way. When the substitute teacher comes around, oh yeah, that's when the airplanes, paper airplanes go through the air, right? The gum, you know, goes flying, the little spit wads, all that stuff. All the teacher, I got to go to the bathroom, you know, kind of a deal happens just because you know the main, the main regular teacher wouldn't let you do that. But boy, the substitute's here. And so he says, hey, don't do that. Paul had no problem sending Timothy because he was doing the Lord's work just like Paul. So he says, take care of Timothy. Hey, we're on the same team. We're equals. Paul never saw himself better than others. And you know, what I love about Paul as a team player, he never had this personal ambition kind of a thing. Remember what happened in Philippians when we we, uh, were in Philippians chapter 1. I'll give you the flavor of it. Chapter 1, verse 8, For God is my witness, how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. We're in this ministry. We're together. We're a team. And then... You get to verses 12 through 18 and you find out some are preaching, verse 15, Christ even from envy and strife, but some from goodwill. So Paul's in in prison and you have some people that are preaching Christ and they're doing it in a way trying to really uh, bring harm to Paul. That doesn't seem like a very pure motive. You know what Paul said? Um, I don't know. I have no idea what, what that other person's motive is. But as long as Christ is being preached, that's all I care about. That's all I care about. Did you realize there's another church that's set up in town and they're doing this thing and that thing? And who cares? If they're preaching Christ, amen. That's what a team player looks like. Notice how many people Paul, by the way, speaks of at the end of so many of his epistles. Romans, he speaks of 24 people, two households. And they all mean something to him in ministry. All of them. The reason why is because he's basically telling the church, I need these people. I need you to do this ministry. I'm relying on you. He is a team player. And you have to have that kind of mentality, that that attitude. Remember Epaphroditus in Philippians 2, who 
worked himself to the point of death. Paul said, I need this guy. Later on, 2 Timothy 4, he's about, his life is about to come to an end. And, and with all the crazy things that were being said about him and being done to him, you might think that Paul got harder, hearted and kind of, you know, indifferent maybe to, to life. Not so. He said, uh, hey, can you send John Mark? He's useful to me. I have need of that guy. I want to be around John Mark. Isn't that the guy that you got into a fight over with Barnabas? And came the, nearly came the blows. and You didn't want to take John Mark with you because he was a baby? It's my translation. But that's what it was. He's kind of like, well, this guy's, you know, he, he quit. He quit on us. We don't want that guy. So I want that guy now. Why? He's useful. I realize he, he belongs to the Lord. He has gifts. We could use them. Tell him to come see me. I want to, I want to be, be with that guy. Oh, good stuff. All right. You're going to need, let's look at it, the final one here, seventh. It's going to take all those characteristics to do God's work, God's way. But then it's this seventh one. Paul himself had a firm sensitivity to the Spirit's timing. A firm sensitivity to the Spirit's, you could even say use and timing. Look at verse 12. But concerning Apollos, our brother. I love that. They were trying to divide Paul and Apollos. Some are of Paul. Some are of Apollos. He says, no, he's my brother. Why are you doing that? I encourage him greatly to come to you with the brethren. And it was not at all his desire to come now. But he will come when he has opportunity. What's Paul trying to tell them? I tried to send Apollos to you guys, but he's tied up in other ministry. See, why, why do you want to send Apollos to them? Chapters 1 through 3. Because they were hung up with Paul and Apollos at this church, and Paul is trying to tell them, hey, I have no problem with Apollos' ministry. You shouldn't either. In fact, I wanted him to see you guys first. But that wasn't the Spirit's timing. And I'm okay with that, Paul says. And the point is, Paul didn't feel like he needed to solve their problem. He knew the Lord would do that. Okay? He wanted to send Apollos, but the Lord will figure it all out. So Paul just trusted all of that to the Spirit's timing. Beloved, we, we are able to do God's work, God's way, when we have a sense of team and are patient for the Lord to work out friction and turbulence with one another. You wait for the Spirit of God to work in their hearts. How do we do God's work, God's way? You have to have a forward look. Hey, plan, look ahead, be willing to look out there. You have to have a flexible hand. It might not go as you plan and think. You have to have a far-reaching commitment to be thorough. Don't, don't just kind of do it. Do it. Finishing mentality. You have to be fixed. You have to have a fixed presence to the present, to the now. 
You have to have a fearless will. Whatever the opposition is, you accept the challenge of opposition. You have to be a fellow team player with that attitude that we're in this together. And then you have to have a sensitivity, a firm sensitivity to the Spirit's timing and use of people. That's how we can get work done around here and we hold each other accountable to that. And I tell you, beloved, we grow as being that kind of a church and this is going to be one of the most exciting places to be in your week. Um, Not because of how awesome we are, but how awesome He is and how He works through each and every one of you. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we love you and thank you for your word. And uh, we are convicted, Father, that that we read about Paul's approach and it seems like we're reading about something that we, we want to be true of our lives, but it seems maybe far away for, for us to be like this. But you can make us these kinds of workers. Help us to be committed to the work you've given us, Lord, and to walk by faith in it, to trust you with it. We pray, Lord, um, that uh, you would accomplish glory for yourself and may it, through, through that kind of work. And may it be that we are faithful and at the very end that you could say of all of us, well done, my good and faithful servant. We pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen.